Children are a wonderful gift from God. Uh, yes, I know that they sometimes drive us up the wall, as they say, right? But if you have children, you do love them to bits. You love your children to bits. Parents are also a wonderful gift from God. It is true that there are many parents who do not care and love their children, especially in this time we are living in. They don't love their kids as they should. But every true Christian parent that I know loves their children. But you can't be a really a true Christian if you don't love your kids. I mean, you're meant to love your kids. God pours His love into your heart. So if you're a true believer, uh, you love your child. Of course, we are all sinners, right? But even in our sin and filth, if we have been given a true new heart by Christ, a new heart by Christ, we try and do our best to love our children. Now, the truth is, it is hard being a parent. If you're a parent, you don't need me to tell you that, right? If you're not a parent, you know it's hard, right? Families offer love, safety, security, acceptance, but there can also be places of conflict, rebellion, and defiance. And God knows that. That is why he has given us the Bible, the Word of God, to instruct us on how we, as followers of Christ, right, can be parents that God wants us to be. We need the Bible. And of course, God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us obey what's in the Bible. Now, this morning, what we're doing is we're going to look at one of the passages that teaches us on the parent that God wants us, wants you to be if you're a parent. And please look at me there at verse 21 of chapter 3. Now, there are just two truths in your outline that I want us to learn from verse 21 about parenting. The first lesson is on your outline there, and it's straightforward. It's simply this. God wants parents to lead their children. God wants parents. What does God want from you? If you're a parent, God wants you to lead. Lead in the home. Now, strictly speaking, verse 21 is not addressed to parents in general. That's obvious. It says, fathers. It is to fathers. In fact, all translations, except the good news translation, has fathers as the first word, not parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The original word for fathers there is pateres. And in Hebrews, this is interesting, in Hebrews 11, verse 23, this same word is translated as parents. So it raises the question, it's, it's a bit interchangeable, so it raises the question, why is it in verse 21, Colossians 3, verse 21, translated as fathers? Well, the answer is because in verse 20, which we looked at last time, Paul uses a different word for parents. A word different from the one he uses in verse 21. So it follows, all translators agree, that in verse 21, as indeed in a parallel verse in Ephesians 6 verse 4, that Paul here is deliberately talking to fathers only. Interesting enough. 
Why is he doing that? Well, the answer is because it is the father who has ultimate authority over the whole family, including the children. Paul, in verse 21, is saying to fathers, the back stops with you in the family. God has placed the weight of leading children in the home on your shoulders. Not on your wife. I mean, when I looked at this, it shocked me. <laughs> I was like, it's my job. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's my job. It's not Eunice. <laughs> even, if, even if it's a girl, you're like, no, no, it's not a mom. Like, literally, you are responsible to lead your child. Everything. I'm not saying you do it alone. You need the wife's help to do it, but you are the one who's in charge of raising your child. You have the authority over the child. Now, where there is no father in the home, the responsibility then clearly falls to the mother. She is the leader of the home, not the child, not even the oldest child, not even the oldest male child in the family. You can imagine in some cultures, the father dies and there is an older child. And in some cultures, they say, no, the child now is in charge. No, biblically, no, it's the mother who is the head of the family now. So fathers and single mothers, your children must be in... No, these are the two groups I'm specifically talking to today. In the, staying in the context of the passage. I'm speaking to fathers this morning, and I'm speaking to single mothers. Because these are the two leaders implied in this text. Fathers and single parents, your children must be in no doubt that you are the leader of the family. You have the ultimate authority over their lives. By starting, by Paul starting the command in verse 28 by saying, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. Paul is teaching us that God wants all fathers and all single mothers to have authority over their children, to lead, to exercise authority, to lead their children. And so this immediately raises the question, how do we lead our children in practice as fathers and single mothers? Well, Paul doesn't tell us here. But we know from the Bible that this involves two things which are put on your outline. First of all, you must lead your family by providing direction. And I should just say to mothers here in the home, you have to help the father do this. You have to help your husband do this. Your husband must lead your family by providing direction. Direction doesn't come from you, the mother, if the father is still around in the home. It comes from the father. You, as a father or single mother, must set life direction for your children. The parallel text in Ephesians 6 verse 4 says that, doesn't it? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Similar verse. But what? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The key point there, Paul is saying, it is the job of the father or single mother to bring up the family, to lead your family in a way that your children would come to love and serve the Lord. Fathers, do you have a clear biblical vision 
of what God wants your family to be in Christ. Perhaps you're married. You're just a husband. You haven't got children yet. Are you thinking about that question? Don't wait until you get married or you have children. If you're a single man, think about that question now. Are you thinking about what the biblical vision will be like? If you're a single woman today, if before you, as you, you are dating, perhaps courting, are you asking the man already what his vision will be in the future for raising children in the home? In Christ. But specifically for those of you who are already in the home, are you actively leading your children in that direction? Is there a clear biblical vision and are you leading them in that direction? Single mothers, providing direction for your children means that you must lead them to make the decision that you believe is best for them. I hope you've heard that. You must lead them, you, to make the decision that you, the mother or the father, believe is best for your children. Now, I am not saying you must impose it on them. It is important that as parents we work hard to bring our children along, isn't it? That's true servant leadership. So you must consult them. You must listen to what they think about the decisions they are looking to make. And you must then lovingly persuade them to, to, to follow a God-honoring path. But in the end, you must make the decision for them. Are you doing that? Are you the type who just let the child decide? You know what they are deciding is not good for them. And if you don't lead, you think you're being loving. You think you're staying in touch with the culture. I, had a, had a young, I was speaking to a young lady once who was living under the, uh, some years back, living under the roof of her uh, mother's home. And she was there. She was clearly under the mother's authority. But she was arguing to me. She was saying, look, pastor, the way you're talking is not how the world should be. Like, this, the world is different now. Children have agency. I said, children have always had agency, but they are meant to live under the authority of their, their parents. And in this case, she was living with, them, with, with her single man. Beloved, it is sinful for us to let our children make life-altering decisions for themselves. We must lovingly decide for them and on those decisions. That's what leading our children is. Remember, loving deciding them is not imposing it on them. If the children are still under the roof, okay? I'm not talking about your children that have left. I'm saying if they're under your roof. That's very important. We, I hope you, you we clarified what a child was two weeks ago. You remember what we said. Okay? It's people, it's children under the roof of the parent. Life-watering decisions. The friends they choose to hang out with is a life-altering decision. It changes their life. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's going to shape how they live. So you must actively approve who they hang out with. You can't just be silent about that. 
Who your child marries is a life-altering decision. If they're under your roof, you as a parent must have a reasonable say. Reasonable say. <laughs> Some parents say unreasonable. We'll come to that. But reasonable input into this. Church attendance. What can be more life-altering than being in the church? Listening to the gospel. You as a parent must be clear. Under my roof, me and my house will serve the Lord. Who come to church in the morning? Who come to church in the evening? Midweek is tricky because they need to be at school. But you must decide as a father, this is, is going to affect you for eternity. And you must, as long as they're under your roof. Don't say leave, that's their issue. Again, not in a way that domineers, but in a way that persuades them this is good for them. And if they're not persuaded well, they need to sit down those few sermons, they'll become persuaded. But lead, you must. Not just say, oh, today he wants to stay in bed. That's good for who come if he wants. No, leadership. You must lead. You are the father in the home. You are the single parent in the home. And if you're a child, oh, beloved, if you're a child who professes faith in Christ and you're living under the roof of your parents, they may not be believers. Well, someone two weeks ago. You must submit to the loving authority of your parents because you now understand that they are meant to lead you. And so you must, be, you must help them to lead you. Are you helping your parents lead you, children? And I mean children, I mean here, zero to whatever, 50 at home, living under the roof. Now, I know this is difficult for us to hear, but as followers of Christ, we must prayerfully support our parents as they seek to set the general direction in our lives. God wants parents to lead their children, and he wants them to lead by providing direction. The second way uh, there on your outline that, uh, we are, um, that what God wants you, the way God wants you to lead is by means of teaching them to live for God. Teaching. Direction, teaching. And we have a great example of this, don't we? In the life of the patriarch Abraham. In Genesis 18. Abraham, what does Abraham do? He sets up shop in Abraham. By the ox of Mamre. But in the same region, there are cities of the plain that have become very evil. Just like today. So God has done something unusual. What has he done? He has come down in human form with two angels to pay Abraham a visit. And he's doing that before he punishes his cities. And while God is visiting Abraham, what does he do? He tells Abraham some very important words about how Abraham should lead his family. Look at Genesis 18 verse 17 to 19. I'll read it just now. It's so important. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice 
so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Now, although Abraham was, is unique in the sense that he was a foreshadower of Christ, right? The way God wanted Abraham to lead his family is also the way God wants us to lead our family. And you notice there in verse 19, what is Abraham to do? He's meant to command his children. Teach them. Fathers, God wants you to teach your children, you, <laughs> not the man, he wants you to lead on teaching your children. Waking, wake up. Of course, you can use the man, but you must own the issue. You must teach your children, wake in, wake up. You are the pastor of your home. Are you preaching the way of the Lord to your children every week? Single mothers here. God is calling you to be parents who are focused on this. Are you teaching your children to live right before God and man? And I just said to grandparents here, are you encouraging your children to lead in this way through teaching as they look after their children? But for you who are parents here, I, particularly fathers and single parents, are you regularly teaching your children the good news of Jesus? That's the way of the Lord. Are you teaching your children to live right before God and man in Christ? Are you putting the Bible before them, the word of God, to expose their sins? Are you regularly praying with them and encourage them to put their whole trust in Jesus? Not merely laying down the Lord, but using the Lord to point them to their need for the Savior. We don't want to raise our children in a legalistic way. We want to be gospel-centered. Are you reminding them that nothing else matters in life apart from the gospel? Fathers, will your children let us say, you know, the most important thing that my dad focused on in my life is that I am a sinner desperately in need of the saving grace of God. Will they remember that my father taught me that I am a sinner heading to hell? And that the Lord Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, went to that cross to pay the price for my sin. And that he rose for my justification. And he ascended into heaven. And that he's coming again. And that I must trust in him or I will perish. Will they remember that as your will and testament to them? Or who they say, you know what my dad really wanted was that I'll be an accountant. <laughs> you know, because he always dreamed of being an accountant himself, but never got never quite managed it. You know, I used to know a child like that. The father wanted to be a nurse. Yeah, he wanted to be an, he wanted to be in the medical. And nursing when he was growing up was a big thing. And he really wanted his daughter to be a doctor, in, in fact. And that's the only thing he cared about. And when you spoke to the child, you said, yeah, this is his passion. And at that time, the daughter actually wanted to study something else. But that's the thing that consumed him. He didn't care about the gospel. Even the selection of unit was about that. By God's grace, God saved that child. 
But do you, what do you think that child is going to remember that dad really wanted for her? It's this. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being an accountant. <laughs> we all need a good accountant, isn't it? Just in case you become rich, right? <laughs> just in case. Right now, I don't need an accountant. I'm all right. Uh, but just in case uh, God does something. It's a wonderful profession. But that shouldn't be the most important goal in any other profession. Our goal should be to teach our children to know Christ. You know, you and I are, are called to raise our children in a way that is different from the evil world around us. Your children are meant to live counter-culturally. And you are responsible to ensure they are being taught well. You the father. You the single parent. You are responsible to ensure they are being taught well, not just when it comes to the Bible, but for their day-to-day life and education. Of course, you can use the resources out there. I'm not saying you must do it yourself. My point is the back stops with you. You must be aware of the content of what they are being taught. You must shape it in such a way that it's providing the right outcome. My point is you have the final responsibility. The government says you don't. The government in Scotland wants to write to have this thing called named parents. No, 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 no. The biblical position is we must never see the government as a primary educator. Some of you are blessed because you haven't got children yet. That's a blessing too. But as the Lord blesses you, yeah, there's singleness in that. There's, singleness, there's blessing in singleness, there's blessing in being childless even. Right? But the point I'm making is the time may come when God will give you children, perhaps, if it pleases him. Learn this truth now. You must never see the government as a primary educator. You are the educator, biblically. God didn't command even Melchizedek to teach Abraham in that passage. He was around, but he didn't. He commanded Abraham to do it. Not Melchizedek to do it for him. It's the same thing for you. You are the educator. And your top priority in educating your children must be what? Spiritual, isn't it? Yeah. That's the most important education. It's spiritual education. You are responsible to ensure your kids are having a biblical education. And you must ensure that whatever else they learn outside adds to that, not away from it. The focus of true Bible-centered education of our children is that first and foremost, we train them in what? The personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that alone which should form the vast bulk of their time on earth to learn. If they learn anything else, it must support that, not fight against it. That's the way we should see education. And remember, teaching our children is not simply with words. We must teach them by example. It's interesting what God said to Abraham. Did you notice that? The passage we read before, it says in Genesis 18, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. In other words, he was to be a model for them. Fathers and single mothers here, you are supermodels. <laughs> You've never thought of yourself like that, isn't it? But you are supermodels. I know we don't look like it, do we? But, but, but we are supermodels. 
Because you have the most powerful influence on your child for good or for evil. And it is what your child sees in you that will shape their life most. Without a doubt. Children learn what they live. Whether you realize it or not, you are currently discipling your children. You are the rabbi. They are your disciples. They are learning from you all the time. Now, fathers and single parents here, you must get this. You are already teaching your children about how you live. And the question for you is, what are your children learning from your own life? What are your kids learning about your love for God? What are they picking up about your attitude to people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do your children believe your heart weeps for non-believers? You may think, what's that about? Well, if they cannot pick that up from you, they won't worry about their own salvation. If your children see you, you are praying for the lost, you are seeking to share gospel with the lost, then the children will look at themselves and say, Woe is me. I must look to Christ because I can see from my mother, I can see from my father, that he takes this issue of hell and judgment seriously. They will start worrying and they will start looking at God seriously. Do your children see that you love the church? Or do they think, you know, <laughs> you know, dad does not even care whether to attend Bible study or go to evening services. Are they thinking, perhaps the reason mom thinks Sunday's evening services are not important is because the church is just a show. It's a religion with no life. Remember, it's not just what you do that kids pick upon. It is also what you don't do that they pick upon. And it's like that, isn't it? When you go to a place of work, you see how everybody's behaving, but you also see how they are not behaving. Having come from Zambia, as a straight from the village, and come here and gone to a public school, a boarding school, I didn't know much about English culture. I was learning it on the go. So I saw the kids, I was seeing what the posh kids were doing at boarding school, how they are arranging everything. I'm like, yeah, that's how it's done. But I'm also seeing what they are not doing. They are not going out there wearing my... They are not in snow wearing summer shoes. I once did that, brother, and I, uh, I had to be taken to the sanatorium. I said, why did I fall down? Then I checked the shoes. I was wearing the wrong shoes. You see what they are doing, and you see what they are not doing. And you learn, you adjust, right? Same thing with parents and children. Children are learning, are picking up from you, not only what you are doing, but what you are not doing. Children learn what they live. So what are they learning from you? Paul has addressed fathers in verse 21, as I said, because they are authority figures in the home. Because it's the first point he wants to teach us is that God wants parents to lead their children. That's the first truth we learn in this verse. The second truth we learn in this verse is that, the second and final truth is that God wants parents to encourage their children. 
to be an encouraging presence. God wants all parents to live with their children in a way that encourages the physical, emotional, and spiritual welfare of their children. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You know, the original word there for provoke has a broad meaning when you look into it. It includes to stir up, to irritate, exasperate, to make angry, like the parallel verse in Ephesians 6 verse 4. Uh, it, it, it means to be, to, to, be, to, to be resentful or to make them become bitter in life. It is both about what is being done and the way it is being done. The other word uh, there, discouraged, uh, means to lose heart or to become dispirited. And so when we take provoke and discourage and we put these two words together, what is Paul saying in verse 21? Paul is saying to fathers and single mothers this. He's saying, do not make the life of your children become worse. Be an encouraging influence in their life. Your presence should promote and protect the life of your children. Do not make their life get worse in any way. You see, the burden of verse 21 is that we must protect our children, not simply from the evil that is out there, but we must protect our children from the evil within us as parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And you know, when we, if we, if we, when we examine verse 21, we can see that there are two things that Paul wants us to avoid as fathers and single mothers so that we can be an encouraging influence to our children. And I put those in your outline. First, we must avoid sinful discipline. Sinful discipline. The underlying assumption of verse 21 is that the parent loves his child and is actively disciplining him or her. And part of supporting our children in life is that we must discipline them, isn't it? And some of this discipline will be about what? Will be formative, right? And some of it will be correcting discipline. They've done something wrong and we want to deal with it. Now, the problem is that it is not an easy thing for us to discipline our children, whether formatively or correctively. There are many ways we get it wrong. And sadly, the way we do corrective discipline, often with our children, is sinful. But even with formative discipline, we're trying to mold their character in a positive way. We sometimes do it very sinfully, and it damages them for a long time. And that is what Paul wants us to avoid in verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul is essentially saying to us, fathers and single mothers here, when you discipline your children, do not let it promote sin against God in them. Do not let your discipline stir up more sin in your children or lead them to lose their hope in God. To start living a life without hope in the world. Now, this was an interesting question, doesn't it? What sort of discipline leads children to become worse in life? Well, sometimes our children become worse because we do not discipline them enough. 
Now, do you remember the story of King David and his son Absalom? This is a bit of an imperfect illustration. But do you remember that story? What did the father King David do with his son Absalom? I'm not saying when he died. Before that, he left him alone. If you read the account, Absalom started misbehaving. He started stealing the hearts of the, of the people of Israel. The father knew, but didn't do anything. David could not be bothered. A man after God's own heart could not be bothered with his son. He had had enough. He did not try and do anything. Now, perhaps he thought Absalom was his own man, so technically, because Absalom was already living under his roof, right? So perhaps he thought, well, he's, he's married now, he's got his own thing, he's doing his own thing, and left him to be. But actually, technically, David had responsibility still towards his son. But David decided it was not his job anymore. And what was the result? Well, Absalom became more and more angry with his dad. And in the end, removed his own dad from power. And actually, in the end, it led to Absalom's own own death. And David shared the responsibility for, for for the death of his son. He wept for Absalom, but part of weeping for Absalom, sure, was weeping for himself. And what he had allowed to happen. Parents, are you actively disciplining your children? Or are you too busy to spend time with your kids? To know they need correction in many areas of their life. You know, discipline our children properly demands that you do life with them. Father, this is a big issue. You cannot know the faults of your children unless you spend time with them. Enough time with them. Unless you walk with them. It is not enough to simply have one hour a day with your kids. When you are tired from work. That's it. You must do life with them. You must talk with them. Watch films with them. Play with them. Learn with them. You must know how they are thinking. You must do your life in such a way that you truly live with them. Now, I know life is busy. And there are bills to be paid. And there's a cost of living crisis. Honestly, I do... well. Talking to some of you, I get a sense. I can't say I understand the pressures you're under, but, but because we're all different, aren't we? There's a limit to my understanding, but talking to you, I know that this is a difficult... We're living in difficult days. But this is where the Bible changes the way we see life. It's, it's calling us to rethink the way we do family. What are our priorities? The question you should be asking as a parent is not how much money should I make. You should be asking, what does it mean? What sort of job should I have that will enable me to do this? You've got to think backwards. My wife, who I love, once reminded me, he says, Chola, do you know that someone always pays the sacrifice? I said, yes, I've read the Bible. (laughs) I have. Someone must bear the sacrifice. And then she says, well, it's either you or Abigail. Someone always bears the sacrifice. Are you asking children to sacrifice for themselves? Or are you going to sacrifice yourself for your child? We need to think about that. And that changes the whole dynamic, the way we are looking at our lives. 
You must spend time with your child if you're going to make sure they're disciplined. I'm not saying it's easy, but prayerfully consider this principle. Someone always pays the sacrifice. Are you currently asking your child to pay the sacrifice that you, who knows Christ, should be bearing for them? As God the Father has done for you in Jesus Christ. Sometimes our children become worse because we are overprotective or wildly excessive when we discipline them. We are unnecessarily strict. I sometimes see parents, they won't let even a child have a chocolate. I, of course I love chocolate, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so I'm using that because it's close to my heart, right? <laughs> they won't let a child have a chocolate. They won't do it. Come on, give him that chocolate bar just for once in a blue moon as it were. I'm just giving that as an example. You know, they, we can be overprotective with children even when it comes to letting them visit other people. I grew up in an environment in which you could let your children go visit your aunties and uncles. But nowadays, I see parents, they're like, nah. And sometimes for good reason, this is a dangerous society. But I'm saying, let us rethink, let, let us think carefully, where are we being overprotective with our children? Overprotective parents do not trust their children. And if a child does not feel trusted by their parent, they feel, they start to feel my behavior doesn't matter. That's the point. No matter how good I am to my mom, she won't trust me. So what happens is that the child grows, when the child is growing up, she starts to rebel against the rules. Because the more laws, transgression multiplies. There's something in us that wants to rebel against the law. Sometimes our children become uh, worse because we discipline them with the wrong hearts. God is not involved when we discipline them. We do it with the wrong hearts. You see, God cannot honor our discipline of our children if we're doing it with wrong motives. And there are many wrong motives for disciplining our children. For example... Discipline them because we want to have a quiet life. That's not a reason biblically for disciplining your children. That's selfish. Discipline them because you, they will embarrass you. You don't want to be embarrassed by them. Or you want to feel you are in charge. Or they even say because you feel disrespected. That's, you need to be humble. Of course, they shouldn't disrespect you, but that's not a reason for disciplining them in of itself. And shamefully, many parents discipline their children because they want the child to be a success in some hobby. Play the flute. The child isn't interested. I'm going to discipline you. Now, as I said before, you must make decisions for them, but be clear the basis for your discipline of them. Don't do it because of some hobby. You've always wanted to play the flute and you, you want them to play and they're not interested. Or maybe you want academic achievement for them. It's a great thing you desire that. But it's not the reason to discipline them because you want them to be better academically. No. Because much of that is driven by your own impulse, your own desires. All these are wrong motives for discipline. It is discipline that's driven by our selfish hearts. It is self-centered discipline. And beloved, let me just tell you, God will not bless that discipline. Quite the opposite. You know what happens? God may allow your child to do what I call divine frustration. 
If you are a child of God, God may frustrate your attempt to do it wrongly by making hardening the heart of the child. So that you could cry out to God so that God gives you the right motive to discipline you. I tell some of the parents here, I've said that to them, your difficult child is a blessing from God. Because God is working on your heart. Remember that. As you cry, you are, you are, you are, what are you doing as you're crying? You're going to God. Lord, bend my child to your will. You're learning to pray that. God is, you're, you're enjoying intimacy with God. Listen, the correct motive for discipline our children is that we love our God so much that it breaks our hearts that our children are rebelling against him. That's the only correct motive. And the supporting motive is that we love our children so much that we want them to live lives that are fulfilled in honoring God. Love for God and love for them. We want them to be Christ-like. Though that, that is the only supreme motive. The love of God and the secondary motive, the love for them, which desires them to be Christ-like. Sometimes our children become worse because we discipline them in our strength, isn't it? We do it without prayer. We must remember we are at war in this world. There is a spiritual battle raging for the hearts and minds of our children. I'm sure Christian Institute will remind us that on Wednesday. Our enemy Satan is working to control and destroy these fragile lives. Beloved parent, if you don't get this, you haven't gotten anything. Your children are in the middle of the war that has been fought for centuries, for thousands of years since sin entered the world. The ancient serpent, the dragon, is after swallowing your children. How are you going to meet that threat? Where the weapons of our warfare are not cannon. You must discipline your children on your knees. I know some of you haven't got children yet. Learn that now. Learn this principle now. Start praying for the children that God is going to give you now. Parents who already have children, do you discipline, do you pray before and after you discipline your child? Do you even pray with them, if possible, in the middle of that discipline? Are you prayer driven? Discipline with the heart of prayer keeps the devil at bay and leads us to focus on honoring God. In fact, it produces gospel centered discipline. Secondly, and we'll come, well, we'll see where we get to. We must avoid directly sinning against our children. The sin Paul has identified in verse 21 is a sin against the children, isn't it? Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The point of verse 21 is that the actions of the parent there has led the child to rebel against God. So it's a sin against God, but they have also sinned against the child. And we must ask ourselves, what are some of the sins we commit against children that leads them into sin. In what way do we sin directly against our children? Well, I'll be quick here. Three ways. We sin against our children by favoritism. We often do this without realizing it. Uh, we start favoring the well-behaved child, don't we? 
the badly behaved child notices that I'm not being treated properly by, by dad. And before long, she feels like the black sheep of the family and there's terrible results. Favoritism. It's easy to always look to the world behaved child. Sometimes we sin against our children by unforgiveness. We see that in the royal family, isn't it? <laughs> A child has sinned against the dad. The child, well, in the case of the royal family, hasn't really apologized. But, but assuming the child has apologized for the offense, but you as a dad, you're like, you feel so insulted by what the child has done, and you just cannot let go of the offense. Now, again, it sounds strange, but this is common. And many families, there's no reconciliation between the, the parents and the children. It's not because issues have never been sorted out. It's not because of the child, actually. It's because the father... The parents have never got over the step of properly forgiving the child for what the child did. And by refusing to forgive, they're actually sinning against the child. And they're driving them further into sin. The third way we sin against our children is by belittling their worth. We start talking down to them. We tell them they won't amount to anything good in life. And sometimes we do this out of frustration... And sometimes we probably do it to encourage them to pull up their socks. But our words can empty them out of hope in God. Because when we say things like that, what we're saying to them is this. Don't even think you're special in the eyes of God. You are just worthless. Your life is pointless. Sinning against them. Staring up sin in them. And some of us as adults, we've experienced that perhaps in our families. And we recognize the damage that has done. But for the grace of God, we're still standing, isn't it? There's a lot more we can say on this. But the point of verse 21 is clear. To just summarize, we have learned two important truths about parenting in verse 21. First, God wants parents, in particular, fathers and single mothers, to lead their children by what? Providing direction and teaching them to live for God. Secondly, God wants parents to encourage their children by avoiding sinful behavior, at least, uh, to a life of their children getting worse. Sinful discipline and, 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 and sinning directly against them must be avoided. Now, I'll just conclude by asking this question. How should we respond to these two truths we've learned? Well, three quick things I want to say, then I'll end. Right? First... If you are a parent here, can I just say, yes, what you've heard, perhaps, is difficult. But thank God for the privilege, first, of being a father or mother. There are many people, as I say, who desire to have children, and they cannot have children. Or they want to get married, and God has not yet opened the door. You know, I should really stop. We could be here forever, right? But I should say, because I've experienced this myself, when I first got married with, uh, with Eunice, we didn't have children for some time. In fact, it took seven years for us by the time God blessed us with Abigail. And every time I used to go into the church, there was this assumption that I'm supposed to, be, to have children. <laughs> but it's the Lord who gives children. But that period of seven years of waiting for Abigail taught me that it's a privilege to have children. We think we must. And I usually tell couples when, they, when, they, when, when they're getting married, I said, please, please, don't expect that they say you're going to have children. Are you ready for a life 
where God doesn't bless you with your child, with a child. Don't think you it's your right. I make that point mainly because we who have children now, as one who's only got one, I understand what a privilege it is. I grew up in the family of eleven, right? So the point I'm making is that some of you have got many kids, and it's easy for you perhaps just to have children, right? There's no God has just been blessing you, right? Remember that. Don't take your children for granted. Thank God for the privilege of your children. And the question I want to really press on you today, I mean, I don't care if I go for one more hour, is this, if I keep repeating it, because it's so important. Are you thankful for your children? You're going to tell me, yes, Chola, I'm thankful, but how do you show your thanks? How do you show your thanks to Jesus for giving you children? How do you show them? You show them by taking the children to Jesus. That's the only way. I don't need to ask you if you're thankful for your children. Just by me observing of how you're parenting, I can conclude whether I'm looking at a thankful person or I'm not. Secondly, repentance. Let us repent of our failure then to lead and encourage our children as God commands us to do. To do. You are not the parent you are meant to be. In fact, if we are being honest, you are a terrible parent. Oh, terrible oh. <laughs> right? Yes, you are. Why do I say that? I'm a terrible parent too. Why do I say that? Well, because I fall far short of the standard of God as a parent, he says. Oh, friends, there's a lot of repenting to do. Stop looking at other parents and saying, like the, that Pharisee, thank you, Lord, I'm not like that father or single mother that, has, that does not catechize our children. Look deep in your heart, beloved, and weep at your sin. Weep that Christ is so wonderful, so beautiful, and yet you won't arrange the affairs of your home in the way that points to glory, to Christ. You have other priorities. Cry out to God to forgive you. And God will forgive you because he's faithful and just to forgive us in Christ. There's plenty of grace in Christ. He giveth, he giveth, and giveth again. Finally, pray to God to grow you in parenting your children in a way that honors Christ. We can only grow in parenting by the Holy Spirit helping us. Only God can lead you, can encourage you. And only God can work in the life of your children. So prayer, we come back to prayer. Pray for wisdom. Pray that you grow in holiness so that you could lead your children in the way that honors him. Let us seek God for this. And let us pray for one another. And I know for some of you, have you been listening to these messages? It hasn't been directly relevant to you. But God, I think, has had you listen for a purpose. Perhaps it's to pray for parents. Let us pray for parents in this church. That God would help them in this area. To lead and to encourage. Amen.